0: Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast, Andre Gallibur, first preseason game in the books. I'm not, I tell you what, I'm not one to take a whole lot out of the preseason. If there's a team in the NBA where you can derive some value out of the preseason, it would be the Knicks because Tibbs is the type of coach that is always kind of focused on winning. Uh winning games and and playing his guys more than other teams typically would. But in this game, you know, he didn't really go that route. RJ Barrett, Julius Randle played, I think, a little bit more than Jalen Brunson did. No Josh Hart. So it's not a ton of value to pluck out of this game. And I'm seeing a lot of Nick creators and podcasters uh, guys that I really know their stuff and guys I respect getting bent out of shape about anything in a preseason game, especially the first one. It just is. I mean, to me, it's like uh, you can't really be that serious. It's the preseason. You're looking at a team that, you know, went to the second round of the playoffs last year, brought back many of the same components of that team and added some pieces and by all all accounts, added a piece in Dante that is an upgrade over the pieces they lost in Obi Toppin. Obviously, the, the roster might be a little imbalanced right now, but so be it. Obi Toppin is not the difference between the Knicks being the same caliber team they were last year or not. I don't care how big of a fan you are. So how would you get Ben out of shape because they quote-unquote struggled against the backups of Boston, of the Boston Celtics <laughs> like, what what do you what do you think is what do you think the message is that you got from a game that they struggled against the backups of the Boston Celtics in the first preseason game the very next season with the same team that went to the second round of the playoffs was a final 14 or final final 18 sorry final 18 team in the NBA it's just silly it's silly It really is. It's silly. Just think about it. It's silly. Guys are coming out there. They're trying things. They're trying to get themselves in game shape, game speed. you got a guy in Dante who's never played with these guys before. Never had live action basketball with these players before. Never played for his coach before. Chill out. The two teammates he's familiar with, Jalen and Josh, weren't even on the floor that much and weren't on the floor with him. So come on. Like... Are you going to beat Dante up? Now, there are some things you could take out of this game. You know, you should be a little concerned that you kind of saw the same Grimes. Now, the same Grimes is not a terrible Grimes. Some of you need to get used to that. But I kind of expected Grimes to at least have the aggression level of someone who's going to live up to some of the preseason talk from him. And guys surrounding the Nick team about how he's going to, you know, be more aggressive offensively. He still looked like, you know, he... I don't like when I see him take a shot, wide open shot and I see him miss badly. It it scares me cuz it screams hesitation, it screams anxiousness. It screams a lot of psychological factors. That just shouldn't be the the case with Grimes at this point. It was a fast break where he missed the pass, the pass went right through his hands. These are things, these are like nervous things that I see from Grimes sometimes that that really kind of make me make me nervous about what kind of is he really just a rhythm player? And you can't really be a rhythm player on a team that's as deep as the Knicks. Because you're going to be you're going to be out of rhythm and you're not you're going to be on the bench because there's too many other guys that can play your your position. So you kind of have to be more of a professional. You have to be ready all the time. And when the ball finds you, you have to kind of know what you want to do. And before you start criticizing Tibbs, which everybody is quick to do with the offense being so robotic, there are plenty of players around the league who are in similar positions. To all of these guys who don't get a ton of minutes, don't get a ton of opportunities, but when those opportunities come, they know what to do with them. There are plenty of guys all around the league who are like that, who don't have the overall talent on both sides of the floor that Grimes has. So I can't give Grimes that excuse. You know, the ball's going to find you and you got to make a play and you got to be ready to make that play. That's part of being a professional. And again, we're not going to overreact. I just didn't. It wasn't a positive thing that I saw from Grimes. We're not going to make it too much of a negative because it's preseason, but it wasn't positive. It wasn't positive. That's that's for sure. I'm leaving Dante alone. I'm not, I'm not bothered. We already know who Dante is. So let him go 25 games of the season, not playing that great. And then you can have, you have something to say. I liked the way they went to RJ. They went to RJ in transition, secondary transition, They gave RJ on-the-ball screen opportunities. It seemed like, you know, Jalen was only in the game for a few minutes. It seemed like they were going out of their way to make sure that RJ was the centerpiece of the offense more often than he was last year. And I think that's a good sign. I think RJ has shown through the playoffs last year, over the summer, although we don't put a whole lot into FIBA performance, But he has shown that the ball should be in his hands just a little bit more. I'm not saying all the time, but just a little bit more than it was because he has the ability to get to the free throw line, which you saw a lot last night. And uh, his shot wasn't really on, but he was aggressive shooting the ball, which is not really his problem in general. But, you know, he was shooting well in FIBA. I think if he settles down, I think he'll shoot well this year because he doesn't really struggle with confidence. He just is more technique, is more... More of a, a sloppiness to his game, so he did change his shot form over the summer. There's been some talk about that. His shot, for his release looks a little bit different, a little bit more to the side than than it was uh, previously. His free throw, his free throw release is also a little bit different than it was last year, and he shot well. He shot well in feedback. but that's one thing you take away: shooting well, you can shoot well anywhere. That's the way I take it. You can shoot well anywhere. If you, do, if you can shoot well in FIBA, you can shoot well in the G League. If you can't come to the NBA and shoot well, then that's a psychological problem. Unless it's a size thing. To me, that's a psychological problem. That's scary to me. I don't think RJ has a psychological problem. I think RJ has all the confidence in the world. He needs to refine his technique. He needs to refine his skills. And I saw growth in the summer from him. Uh just in how he attacked. I saw growth even last year, and you saw growth in the playoffs. So uh, I, I did see them go into RJ a little bit more in the screen game and in transition, and I think that's a good thing for the Knicks. I think it's a very, very good sign. Uh, the other good sign, I thought, uh, outside of the shape that everyone looked in, Mitch looked like he was in good shape. Uh, he looked like he was already engaged in a preseason game. And same thing with uh, Julius Randle. The one thing I noticed about Julius, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but I look at little things. It looked like his handle and how he, his reactionary ball handling was a little sharper than previous years. Meaning he was reacting to the defense a little cleaner with his dribble. He was probing the defense while dribbling a little cleaner. His movements were a little bit quicker. Like, he he was patient reading the defense, but he wasn't moving in slow motion while he was being patient. It was reading and moving at a decent pace with the ball. And defensively, I saw him make some recoveries defensively or some rotations defensively that you didn't often see during a regular season. Plays where he would be kind of lazy getting out to shooters. He seemed like he was, uh, instead of being... You know, three quarters of a step behind to a full step uh, like he's been last year. He was like maybe a half or a quarter step behind on the rotation. You know, he didn't wait to see the pass and then go the way he typically would. He was kind of off at the, the thought of the pass in anticipation of the pass. He got to the to the corner or got to the rotation. You know, so I thought that was promising from Julius. It was, there were just some little tiny plays. Julius made a nice move in the post, too. He didn't settle for the fadeaway on the baseline, he did an up and under. And I thought that was miraculous. You see Julius start doing that more often instead of settling for the fadeaway jump shots, but actually using his post game, which he is very strong at, quiet is kept, and using moves like up and unders and, and spin moves and you know, crafty little, you know, seven feet from the basket moves to get to the front of the rim as opposed to just always settling for the fadeaways. I think that's a real promising sign for Julius. And if he's scoring from different areas of the floor, it also makes it more difficult to double team him when he's getting the ball in different areas of the floor, especially when the offense might be going through RJ sometimes and you know it's going to go through Jalen sometimes, the ball finds Julius on different areas of the floor and he's able to make various moves very quickly. He's going to get the free throw line. He's going to get some scores. And it'll be a little tougher to to anticipate the double teams for, for the defense. In other words, when you don't know when the offense is about to go through Julius, where that double team comes from is going to be a little bit more discombobulated night to night in the regular season than it would be if you kept giving him the ball in the same spots on the floor where they could already have a game plan for how they're going to double team him. You understand what I mean? It's one thing to go through Jalen. Jalen has to get the ball up and it gets to RJ. RJ calls for a screen. He goes through the motions. He collapses defense, kicks it to Julius or kicks it to Grimes and there's no shot and and Grimes finds Julius and now Julius has an idea of what he wants to do with the ball how he wants to attack. It's hard to double-team him in those situations. And it's hard to guard him. And it didn't happen a ton last night, but I saw them not going through Julius, them not going through Jalen, but going through RJ makes some of a more dynamic offense if RJ lives up to the billing. Because Jalen's going to end up in an isolation. We all know how good Jalen can be. Julius is going to end up in isolation. We all know what that looks like. But getting R.J. Barrett going downhill off screens with an array of finishes at the rim. Seeing that, seeing that consistently can be an issue. Can be an issue for teams if R.J. knows when to pass the ball, because that means he's kicking out. He's kicking out to Grimes. He's kicking out to Julius. He's kicking out to Jalen. Now, two of those guys can be nasty on a kick out against a rotating defense. We're, we're going to see what Grimes is going to do. Now, once again, you see how little people follow the team. I think it was the first day of training camp that that Tibbs said, and I said this in the last show, Tibbs said that Jericho Sims is probably going to be the back of the four right now. And I gave my feelings on it. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily dislike Jericho Sims, but I do like how they use them. We talked about this over the summer about how they inverted Hartenstein and Sims a lot, where Sims would be setting the screen and Hartenstein would be on the perimeter. It didn't necessarily work out tremendously when Hartenstein got the ball on the perimeter. There was one play he drove and he got a foul. There was another play where he kind of got tripped up and and stumbled up, and I think he turned the ball over on the play, uh, being on the perimeter. But if they're going to invert it, I think that's a good play. They invert those two of them. I should say invert the two of them. I think that could be a good way to maybe get something out of it without killing the spacing on the floor, even though Hartenstein hasn't shown as a nick that he's going to shoot the ball consistently. Getting him the ball on the perimeter, it might mean, you know, driving the ball Collapsing defense and making a good pass. It might mean driving the ball and actually getting all the way to the rim. It might mean him actually making a jump shot. Anytime you can draw two defenders and you got a good passer like Hardenstein is, it might it might turn out to be something. I don't love it. It's not gonna be more than ten, fifteen minutes a game. I don't even think it's gonna be that much because I don't think I just don't I just don't see on a night where you know you could play small I just don't see why you wouldn't. I just don't see why you wouldn't. With Josh Hart not playing in the first preseason game, it's real easy to go to Jericho Sims there. But I just don't know why you wouldn't go small on most nights when you can. And just, and just going to Jericho. But it's benefited Jericho. Jericho's a pretty good defensive player. He can get on the boards. He can you know maybe defend in front of the rim even though he doesn't really statistically look like he does but he kind of you know visually looks like he does he's in position he jumps high he's strong but on offense is going to be a struggle now when when Hardenstein was the one setting the screen they would have Sims cutting back door off the a screen attack going downhill instead of having him sitting in the corner and it seemed like Boston was ready for it a bunch of times. Now, Boston's a well-coached team. Maybe not going to see that every single night, but it's kind of, you know, when you know a guy can't shoot, you you know that pretty much the only thing he's going to do is cut back door on you. I, you, might get, you might get something out of it some nights, but you're not going to get nothing out of it consistently. Nothing out of it consistently. It's, every time you come down the lane, you see a guy... Streaking down the baseline, it, I mean, it gets old. You know, it gets old. But it's creative. I shouldn't say it's creative. It's not necessarily creative. It's it's more creative than having them stand somewhere and not doing anything when everybody knows he can't shoot. I would say that. But it's not necessarily creative. But they're doing more with it than they did last year, and that's promising. But I still think they're better off just playing RJ and and Hart. uh you know, base and matchup dependent behind Julius Randle. But Jericho Sims is going to find his way on the floor on a lot of nights because he likes his effort, he likes his physicality, and you got to like it too. Uh, he's a better ball handler than people think he is, probably a better ball handler, handler than he is any other aspect of his offense. He, he handles the ball pretty solid. Uh, he's not going to do anything with it, but he handles it pretty solid. Yeah, but I like Jericho Sims. I like him. I like him as a kid. I, you know, I, I'd like him to get a chance. But um, this roster is is there are too many players here. And to be honest with you, I don't even know which one I'd want to get rid of. Right now, I don't want to really get rid of any of them. Any of them. I think they all provide something different. I think IQ was a little bit more aggressive. I like the aggressiveness of IQ. He came on the floor of the second unit. They took him right off the ball with RJ and had RJ on the ball most of the time. I think IQ has to be off the ball as as much as possible. I don't care what anyone says. I think whenever you have another playmaker, uh, I think it's best to have IQ just as one of the -the on-the-ball options, not the -the on-the-ball option. Uh, Even though he made some plays last night, he has to play aggressively offensively. He can't just be out there dribbling around. Another thing I think I saw is I saw screen and roll from multiple different ball handlers, right? So you saw it from RJ. Obviously, you see it with IQ. You saw it with Dante. Uh, I think you you might have you might not have seen it with Grimes, which again pisses me off. Might not have seen it with Grimes, but Dante's going to need some screens on the ball. RJ's going to need it. IQ's going to need it. It can't just be limited to to Jalen uh, and RJ here and there and IQ when he comes in the game. You have other guys that can make plays off screens. You need to use it. Uh, another interesting thing that came out of that preseason game is Fournier playing. Not just that he was playing, but and I'm not going to necessarily say he was playing well because Fournier's issue has always been on defense, but Fournier... Being a weapon at the three-point line was very evident last night, just in how his teammates found him, got him got him open, how he found little creases in the defense and was efficient with the shot. I thought last year, one of the things that Fournier defenders tend to forget is Fournier actually did not shoot the ball that great when he had his opportunities. He didn't shoot the ball that great. So it was kind of like you knew Fournier could shoot, so you know you don't stress it. But when he was in the game, it wasn't like you were – guaranteed to get some some knockdown shots. You know, when he got into the game he was he was struggling a little bit. You know, so and and again, he didn't play and he was out of rhythm and all those things, so he has all the excuses. But, you know, that's not how this works. (laughs) You're a professional. You gotta come in. You gotta knock shots down if that's what you do primarily. You might think you could do other things, but you know, he he is as prone to giving up seven points as soon as he gets in the game as he is to produce it. And he has to change that before anything else. I think I think Fournier is actually a physical player. He's very slow, very slow footed. But he's he can play physically and he has good hands. I think a lot of nights he can play back power forward. Depends on the matchup. I'm not advocating for it because I think it's better to have RJ Hart. But I think Fournier might be a better option than than Jericho, but, you know, when Fournier comes in the game, man, I'm telling you, things tend to, when Boston went on that run, it wasn't really Fournier's fault. There were plays that had nothing to do with Fournier that they were scoring on, but it just seems like everything defensively is out of whack until Fournier kind of gets a sense of what's going on out there, and then he kind of gets handsy, gets gets his ball gets his hands on the ball and he starts to dig on penetrators a lot and he gets in passing lanes a little bit, you know, so you do get some defensive benefits sometimes from Fournier, but he just gives up way more than he's giving you. At least that's the way it was last year. But in this particular game, he was very efficient with the shots he had, you know, and he looked comfortable with the shots he was getting, you know. So I just think, you know, the Knicks depth – is their strength. But if you don't use the depth properly, it doesn't really make a difference. And when I say that, I mean, if you're not going to use all the weapons on the floor, and I'm not saying this preseason game indicated that they wouldn't, this preseason game, and it's just a preseason game, indicated, indicated that they would. The way they went to Dante with some screens, the way they were going to RJ, It looked like they were trying to use the weapons on the floor. But if they don't use the weapons that are on the floor, then it doesn't matter how deep they are. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to miss the shots that you're getting, it doesn't matter. It really just doesn't matter. You know, you next man up if somebody gets hurt outside of that. If you're not scoring from every position, obviously they can guard pretty much. Everybody who steps on the floor can guard a little bit, saying it's r j and Evan. if you're not in Jalen's struggles if you're not if you're not providing something offensively efficiently when the opportunity finds you, it doesn't matter if the Knicks have good depth. It just doesn't matter. it only matters if everybody's skills are accentuated and actually used efficiently, and that's on them and that's on the coach so and when the playoffs come. That depth cannot, you know, everybody's gonna shrink down to eight-man rotation for the most part. So the the depth can help you if you use it, but it, it doesn't matter if everybody's not knocking shots down and everybody's not making positive plays for various reasons. So that's the one thing that has me nervous about the Knicks depth. It would it, it would almost seem like it would be better it would be better if they consolidated. And I'm not breaking new ground here. They consolidated some of these, some of these players. As much as I like them individually, it, may, it just may seem like they have to. They and again, one preseason game. I'm not tripping. They they have got to get the ball in all of these people's hands to do what they do best to make this depth work. Otherwise, it's just a cluster. You know what I'm saying. I I don't want to say. It. <laughs> You just got too many guys who are just out there not getting getting it done. Because they're out of sorts, they're out of rhythm, they're not getting the shots they're used to, whatever the case might be. So they, they have to play with a little pace, they have to move the ball, they have to give everybody an opportunity to accentuate their skills. You know, and you look at some of the comments from Derek Rose that played into Tibbs' criticism—he didn't want to criticize Tibbs too much, but he basically talked about the the rigid nature of of Tibbs's offenses, workouts, his practices, and how it doesn't necessarily—and and now I'm putting words in his mouth and paraphrasing how it doesn't necessarily accentuate everyone's skills and puts everyone in rhythm. You uh, know, in the, in this one preseason game, it looked like they were more—it was more efforting towards doing that, but. It's got to happen. And that's the only way the Knicks go to the next level with this particular team. So, anyway, it's the preseason. We're not going to make a big deal out of everything. I thought it was mostly some positive signs out there. So, Obi Toppin's little brother out there, he looks real spry, real light on his feet, real long and lanky. Uh, he already made comments about how he's not his brother. He, he plays a little bit more defense. He, did, he didn't say it like that, but he said it like that. He said. He said, "My brother and I bring different things to the floor, and he's not, I <laughs> I basically I basically said I like to play defense. <laughs> so, and you can see that, but you know what? He's not going to play. You know, none of these guys are actually going to play. The Knicks have too many guys here. You, know, you want them to continue to develop. You you want to make sure you have guys in your roster that you're developing towards in the next couple of years when the roster has to kind of." you know, Ross is going to have to do some weeding out because they can't afford to keep everybody. So, and I've been saying this for a long time. The Knicks window is small. It's up until Jalen and Jalen and Julia's got to get paid. When that happens, you're not going to be able to afford to have this kind of depth. So this, this has to, and the IQ is trying to get paid too. This has to come to fruition really soon or they're not going to be able to, Get that player they're looking for, that superstar player, that high-end player, that three-level scorer, two-way three-level scorer who gets the free throw line, can't be stopped, can't be guarded. Getting that guy with a strong roster around him is not going to happen past another couple of years. So they got to make the best of it. They got to keep the momentum going. I don't necessarily see them making any huge trades before the end of the season. Um maybe, you know, who knows who pops up and says they want out, you know. But uh we went over some of the options over the summer and I don't see Paul George asking out in the middle of the season. Um the, the Harden trade might actually go down pretty soon, who knows. And it'll shake up both the Clippers, I think it's probably going to be the Clippers. It'll shake up both the Clippers and the Sixers. But uh, I don't necessarily. We talked about Cat at length. I think it was a whole show about Cat. Uh, I like his skill set, but I don't necessarily like him. Uh, Embiid, I think, is a pipe dream. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, I think, is the most realistic. But I just I don't know how much better that makes the Knicks, depending on what they have to trade to give him get him. But I I do think he desperately wants to be a Knicks still, and I think it's it's a possibility that he still comes here. I just don't know if that's the move or not. You know, it's tough times, but I don't see anything happening. I think this is the team. I think this is the team. OG, Ananobi, depending on what you got to give up for him, I think he's an upgrade. But it depends on what you give up for him. But if you have OG on this team with most of this core, depending on how RJ plays. If RJ plays well, then maybe not. But... You know, if it's the same old RJ that you've been seeing up and down, I'd happily replace RJ with OG and and give up some draft picks to bring OJ and OG in here. Cause I think that dramatically changes the Knicks roster for the better. Because of all the things that RJ can do, again, it consolidates uh opportunities. Because OG um, you know what? OG wants to get paid, so he might be begging for shots too. But I was going to say, it'll probably mean that Grimes gets more of RJ's opportunities. And I think I think Grimes better offensively, has a better offensive bag than RJ does. Quiet as capped. If he can get out of his own head, you know, you'll see more on-ball, on more on-screen opportunities for Grimes if RJ wasn't here. But, you know, OG wants the ball too. So, if he comes in here trying to be a headache, I just... I just don't know. I think the Knicks are really in a no man's land right now because the target, even though they are primed and ready for to pick up that target, if he's available, that guy is just not available. They might have to just make do with what they have and just be, be better. If Miami can compete for, to get to the finals with the roster that they have, so can the Knicks. You know, everybody's gotten better. I know the Celtics are better and, Milwaukee's better. But we talked about last show, the Celtics were already good. Milwaukee was already good. You already had to get past those teams being better than you if you wanted to get to the finals. But if Miami can do it, why can't the Knicks? It's it's really up to them. It's really up to Tibbs. It's really up to how they approach the game. And I think that's really where you want to be. You want to be in a place where if you play your game and you play smart, you have a chance to win. And not in a situation where you want guys to be something that they're not. You just want them to be the best that they are. That's what the Knicks are right now. If those players are the best that they are, not, oh, potentially Grimes can be a 25-point scorer. Not that. No. Just be the best that you are, every single one of these guys, and the Knicks can beat anyone in the conference and then put the asterisk next next to the celtics and and the Sixers, because it's not the sixers um the bucks, because it's a toss up at that point. Those are better teams, but it doesn't mean they can't be beat. Boston was better than Miami, and they got beat. Do you remember those odds that Miami had to beat them? remember those odds? They were long odds. Miami beat them beat the brakes off of them cause you you never know how it goes down once the playoffs hit, and you know how. Shallow Celtics are, even though you saw a nice bench yesterday. Celtics are kind of shallow. KP is kind of fragile. Harford is old. You know. I'm not necessarily... When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean they can't be beat because they're better. So it should be an exciting season. It's going to be a long season, though, because I told a friend of mine, it's fun when you don't expect the success. And last year, you didn't expect that success from the Knicks. But now you expect the success, and the whole conference is better. The whole league is better. I challenge you to find more than two guaranteed wins on this NBA season. San Antonio is going to be bad. San Antonio beat the Knicks last year, and they were trying to tank. (laughs) Okay, so there's no easy wins on that roster. I don't care who you tell me sucks. It is no easy wins on that roster, especially when the season starts. This is going to be a rough season for everybody. So it's going to be survival of the fittest. You got you to gotta know how to play basketball, professional basketball to win these games. So the Knicks, primed and ready. We'll be back at it after the next preseason game. Until next time.